hear God's words for you. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who had been blind since birth. And Jesus' disciples asked, Teacher, why was this man born blind? Was it because he or his parents sinned? No, it wasn't, Jesus said. But because of his blindness, you will see God work a miracle for him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of the one who sent me and do what he wants me to do. When night comes, no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After Jesus said this, he spit upon the ground, made some mud, and smeared it on the man's eyes. And then he said, go and wash off the mud in the Siloam pool. And the man went and he washed in Siloam, which means one who is sent. And when he had washed off the mud, he could see. The man's neighbors and the people who had seen him begging wondered if this could really be the same man. Some of them said that it was the same beggar and others said it only looked like him. But he told them, I am that man. Then how can you see, they asked. He answered, someone named Jesus made some mud and smeared it on my eyes and told me to go wash it off in the Siloam pool. And when I did, I could see the word of the Lord. One of the most frequently asked questions that come to folk like Shane and myself or to Christian counselors is the old question we've all asked, and it is, why do bad things happen to basically decent people? Books have been written, theories have been set forth, philosophical positions are taken, all of which seek to address this rather basic human condition. One of the oldest and the most frequently given answer to the question is that it must have something to do with sin. So it's not uncommon when people are facing those hard moments in life to look for an answer to their problems in the wrath of God. How many times have you heard someone say, God must be punishing me for something I've done? We hear it over and over again in the presence of pain or suffering or sorrow. So it's not surprising for us to read that the disciples of Jesus ask him that question about this man who has been blind from his birth. Teacher with the man born blind, who sinned? Was it his parents or was it himself? As I said, it's one of the oldest of human questions. It's the question, why do we suffer? Why do bad things befall people? The oldest book in the Bible, you may know, is Job. And it's the story of a man who lost his wealth, his children, and his health through a series of catastrophic afflictions. Although Job had lived what seemed to be an exemplary life, his friends believed that he suffered and had hard his friends believed that because he suffered and had hard trials, that he must have done something terrible that he just wouldn't tell anybody about. In fact, if you go and read the book of Job, you will discover that the majority of his so-called friends, and that takes up the biggest part of the book, are needling Job to tell them, what have you done to cause this? 
They're trying to affix the blame. Long before Jesus' day, people had been taught that everything that happens is a direct result of God willing it to happen. They believed that storms and earthquakes and defeat in war and sickness came at God's command. To believe that anything could happen that God did not command, they thought, diminished God's power. On the other hand, God's people and the people of Israel and later we Christians, believe that God is good. So if you have these terrible things happening, and if God is good, there can be only one reasonable explanation, they thought, and it must be people suffer because of what they've done. In other words, and you've heard it, and you've said it, and so have I, well, they got what they deserved. <laughs> How many times have we said those words? According to this line of thought, if you see a parent who is punishing a child, then it must mean one of two things. Either it means that the parent is mean, ill-tempered, and delights in seeing a child punished, and that could be a fair assumption with some people, or you could reason that maybe the child did something wrong and needed to be punished. And that's supposed to be the obligation of parents. And so the mindset goes on that this kind of parent-child punishment image gets carried over into the way we view human suffering and how it relates to God and to us. So the disciples see a man born blind and they turn to Jesus and they say simply, Who sinned? It's the assumption that everybody made. But go back and look at the text. Because I want you to notice that not for one moment does Jesus buy into this. It was not this man or his parents who sinned, Jesus said. doesn't have anything to do with that. It's almost as if Jesus understands that there's stuff in life we really can't explain. There are things that happen that are outside the realm of all our philosophies. And at some point, we have to learn to deal with it, but it doesn't have to do with sin. Now, we also understand that sometimes there is a built-in kind of consequence when we sin, isn't there? There is an almost built-in punishment that happens, whether it's mental or whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual, the kind of anguish we often put ourselves through when we've done something wrong. But it does not follow that all suffering is the result of sin. And yet, we do almost the same thing. This is very much the way we debate the tragic issues of our time. Like the disciples of old, we began by assuming that there ought to be somebody we can blame. And if you can figure out who we're going to blame for whatever it is and affix the blame, somehow we feel better about ourselves. Jesus might have taken the occasion of a blind man and used it to give a sermon or teach a class or a seminar on what the causes of of suffering were. 
Sometimes we almost wish he had because it would help us a great deal. But that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't preach a sermon, he doesn't teach a class, and he sure doesn't ask for a donation. Instead, he simply says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but because of his blindness, you're going to get to see what God can do. It's not a corollary. It's the man was born blind, we don't know why. But now, something very positive is going to happen. It's almost as if Jesus says, in effect, here's a person who needs our compassion. Quit speculating on what he's done wrong. And stand up and meet the need. So instead of talking about why the man is born blind, Jesus intentionally sets out to help. In Mark's Gospel, we are told that Jesus went about doing good. And that really is a kind of a summary of the life of Jesus. In everything, Jesus goes about seeking to remedy human difficulty. Now, that doesn't explain what goes on. The truth is, Jesus doesn't try to explain. One day, a rather well-known and distinguished lady was talking to her United States Senator. She had known this Senator for a long time. They had a relationship. I guess she had probably donated to his campaigns. But she's come to see the Senator on a rather specific need. She has an acquaintance who needs help that only a senator can step up and make it happen. Somebody with high power. And so she gets her appointment, she goes, she sees the senator, and the senator says, well, I hear your problem, but you know, I'm just too busy to deal with the individual anymore. And the lady says to the senator, that's strange, senator, because even God's not that busy yet. And that's right. Even God's not that busy. And He never will be. Because in Jesus Christ we understand that there is always concern over us, not just as a group, but us as individuals. In another place we're told that even the hairs of our head are numbered. And it's a metaphor that says how important we are to God. Christ was concerned, and it's not over just what we would call spiritual matters. It's other matters, too. He's concerned about the hungry. He's concerned about people who need clothing. He's concerned about those who suffer and who are afflicted. I rather doubt that Jesus took much time to attend many forums or discussion groups that talk a great deal but don't act much. He was too busy changing people's lives. He might have preached lengthy sermons on the dignity of labor or about overcoming temptation or how to enjoy life or the implications of the resurrected life or the worth of children or how God answers prayer. But mostly, he preached by example. He worked in a carpenter shop to prove the dignity of labor. He met and conquered temptation in the wilderness. He went to parties and he laughed and he had a good time with people. He raised the dead. He stopped a sermon 
to talk to children. And when he prayed, the power of God was there. He could have talked a great deal about all the things that need to be doing, but instead he goes out and he transforms people around him. He takes a woman of a rather ill repute and she's the first person to see him at the resurrection. He takes a tax collector noted for his dishonesty and makes him an honest man. Instead of preaching about we ought to do something about the hungry, he fed them. And instead of trying to find someone to blame about a man born blind, he did something about it. There's an ancient legend, and I hope this doesn't cause anyone to squirm too much, about a man who has fallen and become trapped in a bog of quicksand. And after much struggle of trying to free himself, he discovers he's just sinking deeper and there's no way he's going to get out on his own. Now remember, I said this is a legend. Well, by him walks all the great religious leaders of all time. And the first one to come by is Confucius. And Confucius says there is evidence that men should stay out of such places. And he walks on by. Buddha comes by and says, let this man's life be a lesson to everybody else. And he walks on by. Muhammad comes by and he says, alas, it must be the will of Allah. And by he walks. And the Hindu Vedas come by and they say, cheer up, friend. You'll return to life through reincarnation to a better being. And then Jesus walks by. And he sticks out his head and said, brother, let me help you up out of the bog. You want to know how Jesus deals with human need? That tells us everything we need to know, doesn't it? If we come to Christ to argue and speculate about the sins and the needs in the lives of somebody else, we're going to be disappointed. But when we come to Him with a need that needs to be fixed, something that needs to be done, then chances are He'll equip us to do it. Remember Jesus said God sent His Son into the world not to condemn, but to save. Sometimes I think we're so busy trying to condemn sin and fix the blame, we don't have time to do the real work. So Jesus spits on the ground. Isn't that an awful metaphor for modern people? <laughs> we don't like that very much. Makes a little mud paste, if you will, and puts it on the man's eyes and tells him to go wash in the pool. Why in the world would Jesus do that? Sometimes Jesus performs a healing miracle and it happens instantaneously. Sometimes there are three or four steps. Sometimes it works differently. And the truth is that's typical of Jesus, which is to say every case is different. He never quite does the same thing the same way each time. The Scriptures really don't tell us why Jesus did this. But my own guess is that this man wasn't quite ready to receive the whole gift at this point. 
And so Jesus uses this kind of a methodology as a way of arousing faith. Again, why? And why send him to the pool? Well, I think maybe Jesus was not only building up the man's faith, but he was also wanting to teach obedience. There's always two steps in anything Jesus would have us do, and it requires faith, and then it requires obedience. And those are the two steps that are involved in solving any of life's difficulties. When we believe there's a solution to any problem and faithfully take the steps that are necessary, then we will get an answer. Now, it may not be the answer you thought you wanted, but there will be an answer. When Jesus found people who needed help, He helped them. And I firmly believe that He is still available to us through those same mediums of faith and obedience. But you can't end the sermon here. Because Christ's example is we must go and do the work as He went and did the work. Look at Jesus' approach to people in trouble again. There's no speculation about why tragedy struck. Sometimes there just aren't human answers to that kind of suffering. But when we are moved by compassion to light a candle in the night of somebody's despair and become involved with them, they are well on their way to discovering the power of God that can push back even the darkest of nights. After all the philosophers and the theorists have long since stopped trying to figure out, some willing person goes to work and hammers out an answer, a solution. You see, the task for us is to continue to carry out Jesus' ministry of compassion. There's a world around us that desperately needs the knowledge and the assurance that Jesus can offer. Not just the future hope, but help in this existence now. And our task is to continue to show that great compassion and to do it without condemnation and without speculation and without judgment. Because fixing the blame as sin really doesn't help alleviate the problem. But helping to alleviate the problem really is a Christ-like way to live. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.